I'm your host, Rabbi Linda Schreiner Khan, and welcome to Tehillah Talks, where teens engage in honest conversation with their rabbi about what it means to be Jewish in the world today. Welcome to Tehillah Talks. This morning, I welcome Alexis and Jasmine. And we're going to have a conversation about why is caring for the environment a Jewish value? And I feel like the reason I chose this for this this particular conversation is with so much else going on, have we lost focus on this topic? So let's start with that general question and then we'll go on to where does it fit in Jewishly? So Jasmine, if you want to address that first. Why do you think it's lost some of the attention it had for a while? Well, actually, I have like two thoughts on this, which is one, I think that it's sort of become like we've had to live with like feeling like environmental decline and climate change is inevitable for so long that it's hard to have like hope to like constantly think about think about activism and change um, because it's it's something that I think, especially people who grew up in my generation, have sort of like grown up with and like felt like is like this like inevitable doom. I mean, not that there isn't like like this push to change it, but like, does that make sense? So I hear what you're saying is that the sense of urgency has become diminished. And so we're not doing big actions, which leads to another question, which I'll hold off for a moment. But and the, the sense of inevitability that something's going to, bad is going to pop. That's uh, sort of what's what I'm hearing in your response. Alexis, do you want to? I think maybe a little similar to what Jasmine said, but because there's so much else going on in the world that is very present and like more tangible than I guess climate change or the idea that the climate is going to like pop, I guess, because it's really hard to you know, we can talk about how, oh, we had the hottest day of the year, whatever, it gets hotter. The temperature is all screwed up. It was like 60 degrees for the first time in June or something. But I think because it's just so hard to visualize and see it versus everything else going on, some of that urgency and some of that ability to care, I guess, gets lost. Jasmine, I cut you off. I know you wanted to say something else. Oh, yeah. No, I kind of just wanted to echo that point of like, also other things have a short-term impact where it's like right now, like, and this is not saying that environmental issues don't have a short-term impact because they do, but a lot of things are like, if we don't solve this, then like, you know, it's like, you can like see like things happening in the present moment. And that's, it's almost like if there's like this like warning sign that there's going to be like a terrible event happening in like 10 years. And then there's like 80 terrible events happening in the present day. And then you're like, what do I focus on? Um, Because if the 80 terrible events present day don't get resolved, then like the one in the future is almost, it also can't be resolved. Well, I think I think that that's certainly valid and it's important. But I also want to say that the difficulty is, and I don't know for you in terms of your own education, are we taught, and this is true for me as well, are we taught to think 
in terms of long-term solutions about anything. So basically saying, and Jewishly, I would say yes, because we have the famous story about Honey, the circle maker, right? Who sees somebody planting a tree and says, uh, you're never going to see the fruits of that tree because it was an old man planting the tree. He says, yes, but my grandchildren will, right? So this notion of planting seeds for the future is a very Jewish value that you as a person in the community may not be able to reap the benefits of what you're doing, but the future generations will. And I don't know if that's something that we're taught in school. I certainly didn't remember learning that in school. I remembered, yeah, obviously it's part of my Jewish education, but I don't think it's part of my secular education. Has it been part of yours? I think yes. In like university, um, specifically with environmental studies, I've taken like a few environmental studies classes, but outside of that, not really. Alexis? I mean, like a little bit, but I feel like when we're told that the climate isn't doing great and that we need to do something. It's always like, it's always very immediate things we can do. And it's always, you can do something small and it'll be great and it's, it'll help. And then it, you do it and it really doesn't feel like anything. And then you learn, oh wait, I really can't keep doing this, you know, to keep doing all of the hundred other things I'm trying to do. So not really. Right. So you're not being given given sustainable solutions or even a su- sustainable philosophy. I'm even taking it to the philosophical level of, you know, how do we think about this? Because we have the things in front of us that are immediate and then we have the things that are long term. So one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation before this um, Jewish year ended is that this is a Shemitah year a year when uh, the land is supposed to lie fallow. Every seven years it lies fallow and uh, whatever grows on its own grows and can be gathered, but you're not, you're not tending the fields. And that we understand that agriculturally that that is good for the land. And we don't know if it was ever fully enforced, but the fact that we have it on our books, right? That we have it as part of our, our Torah is a way of saying, we are inextricably uh, bound to the land. And my challenge to both of you, and I, I here I'm, I'm, you know, laying it out. Alexis, you're right. We're being given, you know, yes, we collect our, our food scraps. Okay, that's really nice. But I want to know what bigger things can we be doing and what should we be doing? And, and, uh, and I don't know. I, just like you, I don't know. Jasmine, do you have any thoughts about how we change our attitude? I kind of do. I think it's important to sort of view things less as an individual responsibility and more as a collective responsibility, especially with environmental problems, because like the biggest source of like pollution, fossil fuels, basically everything that's killing our planet is like giant corporations and not individual people. And I do think like everyone collectively changing the way that they, I think there's something to like everyone collectively changing the way that they live like their life and caring about the environment as one of their top priorities can sort of help change like corporate actions because you're like you're the consumer or whatever but I think also like that's not 
always super effective. Sometimes corporations will just like pretend to be environmentally friendly when they're really not. (laughs) And yeah. And I also like, I think that it's also important to mention that like doing things and like prioritizing, prioritizing things and like the products you want is kind of a, it's, it's kind of a privilege because like, you know, like being able to only buy um, like recycled things. And, and that's not, I mean, there's certain things like thrifting and like other stuff that I think everyone should do, but especially things that are related to food and like eating sustainably, I think that's like a hard ask, but I think that's because corporations often hike up the price of like the environmentally like friendly option and, and, or maybe it's more just like, I don't know. I don't know enough about economics <laughs> to like, but, but I think, but I think you're raising an important <laughs> issue. And that is when you began, what you just said was that we think about this too much as individuals. Right. And that, that we, this idea of the Shemitah year is a communal idea. It's not, it's not an individual idea. It's a communal idea that we as a community are going to let the land rest. And we aren't good at reaching out to others and saying we're all in this together. And I don't care what you think about another issue. We may not agree on every single issue in the world, but this one, you know, we all want to have kids who are able to go outside without wearing masks. For I mean, I don't mind talking about the kind of mask we've been wearing with COVID. I'm talking about really filtration masks, right? So we want our children not to have to deal with that, let's say. If that's a common understanding, then we can join together. But unfortunately, I don't know that the information is out of what the consequences could be other than, you know, movies that show the end of the world. But that, that dystopian films doesn't, don't necessarily lead us to action. Alexis, I've been ranting for a bit here, so. Um, sorry, what was the original question? The original question is, is how, I'm going to just, come off of what Jasmine said is how do we get this to a more community wide basis as opposed to individual actions? Okay. I think kind of what Jasmine said it, I think we need to stop thinking as if we're just one person and we can do everything we can. And that's just good enough. Um, I think it needs to be sure. Great. We can do everything we can, but we also need to make that effort to try to do it in larger spaces that we're in to make places we gather more sustainable, to make meeting places, to make meetings more sustainable, and also to try to get bigger corporations to make changes and not just lie about them because that really, that's what's going to make the change because that's what's going to make the difference. And I think it's not just saying, I've done everything I can. I've changed my way of life at home to be more sustainable, I think it also needs to extend to places we gather and meet and people we're with. So um, water water levels are are going down in the Southwest and the West in this country. And um, there was an article in New York Times about the Great Salt Lake possibly drying up this summer. And that would affect the migration of birds, right? The interconnectedness and then, and it also, there's arsenic in the bed of the Great Salt Lake, and 
that could then spread to the human populations in the area as dust, creating a sort of natural nuclear event. So right, that's very real. That's very real. And I don't get a sense of urgency anywhere about these real things that are happening. It's like, oh, this reservoir is drying up. We can't use it for recreation anymore. Well, we'll make an adjustment. Uh, <laughs> do you, know, you understand what I'm saying? It's like, how do we raise the temperature? Yeah, that's a bad analogy. Uh, Jasmine. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, yeah, that like that kind of like lack of a sense of urgency is really like shocking. And I think it comes from people thinking that they're somehow immune to like the effects of environmental change and natural disasters, especially because most of the people who, I'm not sure like how to like say this like articulately, but I think that oftentimes people who are like shielded from consequences feel like they can just, they'll always be able to like escape. They'll always be able to be protected. And it's not their issue. It's because the people who, although like environmental change and climate change will end up affecting everyone, the people who are experiencing the effects of it first are mostly poor or like not the people who have the most power to cause environmental damage. I don't know. Right, right. And and it, I mean, if we see the the rising temperatures uh, in the world, and I think talking to David about it, that um, the temperatures in the Middle East are supposed to go up to what 130 degrees this week. And exactly is so. If, if you're if you're well to do and you have an air conditioner uh, or water available, you have different ways of dealing with that heat. But if you're the the poorest of the poor, are definitely going to be the most affected. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier about about uh, food. Food scarcity affects those who have the least, right? So I wonder. And this is a, a I don't have an answer. To this one. You know, the shootings in Buffalo were horrific and terrible, but they also brought to our attention the fact that that supermarket was an island of food in a food desert. And my understanding is that activists are now getting involved in helping to create other options of food in that area. But you don't want it to take a tragedy for action. But unfortunately, we as human beings don't seem to respond unless a tragedy happens. And I, I, I go back to, you know, Jewish values and saying we we try very hard to plan for the future and to plant seeds that somebody else will see come to fruition. We don't always have to have immediate results, but I don't think we're trained to think that way. Alexis, I think that idea of we need a tragedy to get involved kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with why there's a lot less like urgency with in regards to climate change. And I think it's because there are tragedies that obviously come with climate change, right? You have all of these natural disasters that have been, have been happening, you know, hurricanes. But I think it is a lot harder to say, to just get everybody to say, okay, we this is because we have been destroying our environment for literally ever 
um, we need to do something to change it and to stop this. And we can stop all of these horrific hurricanes happening all the time if we just do something. And I think it's hard because a hurricane is just so much larger than life versus with like a shooting. You can kind of look at all of the key players and say, this is exactly what happened. (laughs) And, you know, kind of create a timeline versus with the hurricane. It's a little harder. That's true. That's very true. We feel helpless in the face of nature, right? That's how we see it. That's how we've been taught to see it. It's, uh, it's definitely bigger than us. And, and I know here I am, I'm putting it on the two of you. You're, you're, you know, you're the, the up, up and coming generation. I'm, I'm the gray haired one in this conversation, but I, I still, I guess I'm looking to you to say, what haven't I seen? What else should I look at? What other, you know, what do I do in my position of leadership that you think I haven't done? I guess that's part of my challenge to you is like, okay, okay, I need to do something. I don't know what to do either. So, <laughs> you know, let's think through together. Let's lose our minds and, and, and come together and think about what is it we can do? And what is it that I should say from my perch that maybe I have, I'm more able to say than you are from yours? I personally think education about like there's so many people who deny climate change and like deny and I think that's even if like there are people who don't explicitly deny climate change I think climate change denial is like the only way that you can not care about like climate change and sort of a way to justify it to yourself I don't know if that makes any sense I'm a little bit scatterbrain today. But so, yeah, I think information is like really underrated and really important. And just like having conversations that are public, welcoming people into conversations is something I always think is important as long as they're not being disrespectful. And as long as you can handle like talking to people who have like, who will say things that are upsetting from a place of ignorance, not from a place of like, you know, Right. We are all in this one together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Alexis, any, any thoughts besides me being, being controlled in public? Uh, That's one or all of us having conversations where we, you know. I think also part of it is, is like finding out what actually works for you. Right. Cause so often I feel like we're throwing all of this information. It's like, do this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, okay, great. I can try some of these. And I think definitely part of that is trying different things that have been, that you've been told work and are helpful. And I think recognizing that not every single thing is going to be sustainable or work for you, but still at least trying to institute some of them in your own household or in like community gathering spaces Right, like my school added a compost bin to our cafeteria. Um, I don't know how well it's working just because you have like 300 kids coming in and out of there every single day on a rush to get to classes. But if it is working, then it's doing something. And I think that something is very helpful if it's working. So it's, it's large and small. It's personal and institutional. It's having public conversations. It's having conversations like this one. And it's also, I mean, I think being able to say that this is a religious value that if we, you know, for those who 
faith communities that share the creation story, we're told that we have to be the guardians of the earth. It's our responsibility. And um, if we if if we take on that responsibility seriously, I think we can make a difference. But it's hard. I think the other thing that's come through in this conversation is there are so many other shiny objects that are calling us to pay attention to them. And they seem immediate. And I, I don't negate them at all. It's just how do we do this and this and this and this? So, you know, both of you are students. You're busy with your schoolwork. You're busy creating lives for the future. How do you keep your eye, you know, what are the things you choose to spend your your time and your energy advocating for or trying to make a difference in? I want to put that as my my closing question. So what, yeah, how do you make your choices as to what really matters for you? And does the environment fit into that in any way? Jasmine, you want to try that? Yeah, I think a lot of these issues are also more intersectional and related than it seems on the surface. So like, I feel like I tend to focus more on immediate issues and like, you know, like advocating for human rights and against violence and that kind of stuff. But I think also it can be argued and it is true that living in a world that like isn't falling apart at the seams is a basic human right, which, um, (laughs) and then there's also like another issue, which I've sort of brought up before that tends to very much interest me is like the financial inaccessibility of like working towards like a better environment and a better world. Like I actually brought up an example that I'll just like say really quickly before I go about this. And like, this is uh, just to say, like, this is the kind of stuff that I sort of work into in terms of like, you know, bring the environment into conversations that I'm happy about other things. Yeah. So I saw like recently that there was like this, like at home composter that did all the composting for you. So you didn't have to have like a compost bin in your apartment building or something like that um, if you didn't have one. And I was like, oh my God, that's great. Except that I looked at it and it was $650. And I was like, um, so like, who is this going to serve? It seems to just serve people who want the convenience of not having to go to a compost bin because for like people who like actually like, might live in apartment buildings that like, or like live in like spaces where they can't access a compost bin. Like that's usually not going to be the same people who can afford a $650 kitchen appliance. But here's the thing. I just want to point out what you did is you went the extra step. You looked into it and this is cool. Now, let me see how much it is. And oh boy, this has other implications, right? So yeah, it's it's a great example. It's a great example. Yeah. Uh, I just like, and I get that it's like probably like well-intentioned. It's just like so bizarre to me. It's a narrow market, we would say. Yeah, it's a pretty narrow market. And I'm just not like sure if the people who made it realize how narrow of a market it is. And if they do, then they're being really hypocritical in all of their like (laughs) 
advertisements for it. But okay. yeah, so that's sort of like lens I tend to go at things from. I, I try to like advocate for accessibility. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jasmine. Alexis. I think for me, the climate often in terms of things that I try to get involved in or care about or, you know, just try to have conversations about, it tends to always be in the context of like, okay, but this is also an issue for this. So I feel like I off, I don't often talk about in the climate as its like own, hey, this is about everyone type issue and more of a like, I'm talking about something here. And the climate is involved, but I'm not really talking about it. <laughs> but I think what you actually underscored with that is that it's everywhere. It's everywhere, obviously. And I think Jasmine referred to this as well. That is part of all of these other conversations that we're having. And just to make that more explicit as opposed to implicit is one way of planting seeds. It's not solving the problem, but it is planting seeds so that when action, when clear actions can be taken, people understand, oh yes, I understand that this doesn't, isn't, it goes beyond the climate. It goes beyond uh, lakes drying up. It goes beyond all of these things. It impacts these other areas as well. And I better do something pronto de pronto. So um I just want to thank you for this conversation. I know we haven't solved the world's problems, but I think maybe we've shed some light and that's about all we can do. Thank you for joining me today for Tequila Talks, Jasmine and Alexis. Your voices absolutely matter. It's a pleasure. Great to see you. Bye-bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Tehillah Talks. For more information about Tehillah, go to congregationtehillah.org. Tune in next time when our teens continue to reflect on issues of the day through a Jewish lens.